The following is a production of the Speedsport Podcast Network. Welcome to the iRacers download on the Speedsport Podcast Network and NASCAR Digital Media. Hi, I'm your host, Taylor Burris, and joining me is my partner in crime, Justin Prince, and our wonderful producer, Mr. Wayne Owens. And Justin, we have a first now on the iRacers download. We have a returning guest joining us as we now have a special partnership with Monday Night Racing, where we will have each of the winners from each race on. And of course, the first winner of Monday Night Racing is none other than Matt Stalneck. Yes, indeed. And it came in thrilling fashion, too, where it was a crazy finish, to say the very least. One of the craziest I've seen in my sim broadcasting career so far, Taylor, where it was essentially five wide at the stripe, several rows deep, with a whole cluster of cars all packed together trying to cross the stripe. And for Matt Stolnick, he was able to find that perfect hole to find himself as the winner of the race. It was an incredible finish, to say the very least, Taylor. Let's go ahead and bring him on up. Matt, welcome once again back to the iRacers download. And how have you been feeling? Been feeling good, guys. It's been a good week, obviously. You know, uh, obviously pretty awesome to, to go and get a win. And um, especially in the fashion that uh, it was able to kind of happen. So uh, I've actually got the TV in front of me uh, with the end of the race back on just to kind of go back through the finish and everything and kind of rem- reminisce on all the... Uh, all the kind of moments that led to that, that last lap and just rewatching it. It was just crazy. Um, definitely, uh, definitely a fun way to get the first one. It certainly was. Now taking a look back, I mean, you started right up towards the front of the field after starting in seventh position for this race, but it was a little bit of a chaotic start of the race for the most part. I had a little bit, a few moments, but a couple of drivers having some issues with handling on the track. What was your thoughts going into this race, knowing that with this win, it helped you to get into the playoffs? Well, you know, I, I definitely look at the super speedway races as, as a place where I feel like I have an advantage. You know, I think that a lot of drivers have mixed opinions, obviously, on draft kind of oriented races where we're doing a lot of pack racing. And, you know, it's just something that I've always felt really comfortable with on the sim. Um I mean, obviously, my, my first race in the series was was at Talladega last uh, last fall uh, in the Cup cars, and you know I felt like I was able to kind of go out and make a good statement that night and, and, and put a good run together and almost won the thing. And then you know it's easy to kind of get lulled into a false sense of security after you know you your first race is a third place finish. You're like, oh man, like I'm gonna go I'm gonna go get a win, and you know it didn't happen. You know I was close a few times and throughout you know season two last year and. Um, coming into this season after having a better appreciation for how hard it is to win these races and for how hard the competition is. And um, I really, really looked at this as not even as much of an opportunity, but like I I felt like it was a bit of a must win. Um, And that's not to say that I don't feel confident with some of the other tracks that we go to. It's just that I feel so confident about my abilities at this particular style of racing that I didn't want to leave one out there um, and not get a win when I felt like there was a good opportunity to do so. So my, my objective the entire race was to run up front. Um, I've always kind of employed that strategy when it comes to this style of racing. I feel like, you know, you want to be at least ahead of the rack. I think if you can get up there and, and figure out who's, who's working well in the draft and, understand the dynamics of the draft over the course of a race which are constantly evolving 
you're going to be better served at the end of the race to have a good understanding of, you know, who can you go to, who, who can you go with, I should say, who can you trust out on the racetrack um, when, when the stakes kind of get raised at the end. And I, uh, you know, I think it paid off. It certainly did for you. And now as we look ahead to the next round, which will be next Monday night, you know, we're taking the Pro 2 trucks to Watkins Glen. And if you remember from last season, for those of you who did get the chance to watch Monday Night Racing, for those who are a fan of that, that was probably one of the most exciting, chaotic races that we've seen in all the combinations on the Monday Night Racing series. Your thoughts about going back to a track that we've already done and competed at before? I think it's good for a variety of reasons. I think one, you know, for, for folks that, that are starting to watch and follow the league, it's good to kind of give them some equity in terms of, you know, tracks and, and car combinations that, that kind of become favorites of not only the drivers, but but for the people that tune in. And um, I, I think from the driver's perspective, it was definitely an exciting one. Um, I thought my race last year, I, I definitely left a lot to be desired in that one. I made a lot of mistakes and... You know, I'm I'm really looking forward to, to going back. Um, for one reason being that Watkins Glen is a is a home track for me. Obviously, they're all virtual, so it's not really a home track in that sense. But you know, that track is very special to me. I mean, growing up in Syracuse, New York, I I went to the Watkins Glen uh, NASCAR weekend every single year uh, from the time I was in ninth grade all the way through grad school. So that track has quite a bit means quite a bit to me. Um, and the pro two is, is just a lot of fun to drive. Um, the car, like the weight shifting and the weight, the way that kind of weight just kind of gets distributed across a car that's like that big and with tires that are that large. And, um, it definitely makes for a really fun challenge. So I'm, I'm looking forward to going back. Certainly going to be exciting to go back to that next Monday night, but now it's time to go and probably the biggest news that's happened since you are part of the NASCAR family with managing of the marketing and communications, the unveil of the next-gen cars that happen on Wednesday, May 5th. Your thoughts of the excitement, the buildup, and then also talking about how it just also that same night got released on the iRacing service right after the Pro Invitational race at Darlington. Well, you know, the thing that really stands out to me the most is just the, think about the synergy that went into a project like that. I mean, you've got how cool is it that we're now in a position where we announce a new race car and then immediately we're able to go to iRacing and say, hey, you know, can we stand up a race uh, to show our fans like what what this product is actually going to look like on Sundays next year? So I, that to me is is the culmination of just an incredible amount of industry collaboration that goes into it. Um and, you know, as a as one small member of a, of a huge industry, um, I'm just tickled to death to see the amount of collaboration that goes into a project like this. And that's kind of the biggest thing that stands out to me working on the inside. And, you know, I, I give a lot of credit to the OEMs for, you know, I, I don't work closely by any means with the R&D folks that kind of went into it. But, you know, it's pretty plain to see when you look at the end product at, at how gorgeous these cars look and, um, the fact that we were able to kind of pull everyone together and, and kind of get all parties aligned around a common platform and, um, and all that kind of went into making sure that the car became a reality, you know, you got to look at our OEMs and with Chevy Ford and Toyota, um, who were able to kind of, you know, maybe put aside philosophical differences and, you know, different things that they all might've wanted in the car or in the unveil, 
um, you know, they put all that aside for the, for the, for the good of the sport. And I think that's amazing. And it's what makes all three of them great partners. So top to bottom, I think fans have a lot to be excited about next year. You know, we have, we have a car that is been built now from the ground up with, with great racing in mind. And, um, not only that, but with just great style in mind. So uh, I'm very excited about it. I think everybody that we work with is, is really excited about it. And I'm just now eager to, uh, for February to come around so we can see these things in action in real life. When it comes to the next-gen car, to break it down for those who may be listening and trying to learn for the first time about the car, what are some of the major differences and similarities compared to the Generation 6 car that you can describe for when drivers try and hit the track, say, on the virtual service, as well as really the major differences that have now come and come to be with the next-gen car? Well, I, I would I'd preface it by saying obviously I've never driven one in real life, so big caveat there. But obviously pr- pretty familiar um, with the platform. Just a you know having been on the inside of watching the project kind of come to fruition, and I've gotten to drive it a little bit on iRacing. Um, I think the the biggest difference you're going to see is um, obviously the car is raised up off the ground. Um, that that changes the way it drives quite a bit. A lot less side force um, in the car. So for for guys that are getting on the virtual service once you get a chance to get out there i mean it's one of the big things that kind of stood out to me is you know the car just doesn't have that catch that it used to when you kind of throw it into the corner which which really makes for a fun driving experience um i just think as a as a virtual driver i think it's a lot more fun to drive um i think the most obvious thing though i think for maybe a casual fan is really is the styling um you know this is probably the the closest that we've come since the 70s or 80s to to putting a car that is really, really close to the production vehicles that you see on a week-to-week basis on the racetrack, um, you know, I you know you see a the, the NASCAR Mustang next year when you see it pull up that that next-gen car at the racetrack, it, it really truly does look like a Mustang. And I know that that's that's been a common refrain that we've said in the past as we've gotten closer and closer to a platform like this, but that it, it really does shine through. So that's that's the biggest difference I think aesthetically. Um, driving wise, you're looking at a different transmission. So it's a six speed, uh, instead of, uh, what we had before where you, where you had, you know, four gears in a reverse, you know, you're not, so a five speed, you're now with a six speed. So you're going to have five gears. I think that's going to really change the game. I think a lot in terms of how we drive some tracks, like I was testing a few earlier and, you know, I think there might be some tracks where shifting maybe comes into play and, and things like that. So, you know, a lot of it will, um, obviously come with with testing too i think uh the car is still in many ways a work in progress in the sense that the teams are still gonna you know have a lot to 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 say about you know setup setup design and aero design you know once they kind of get the cars in their hands i think the driving dynamics will probably change even more um remains to kind of be seen as to how much but um really just excited um i think from the iRacing perspective uh you know, hopefully, you know, Monday Night Racing, we'll, we'll be able to kind of get uh, get a chance to drive them. And, and, and some of the other series, you know, some of the eNASCAR series, hopefully we'll, we'll be able to get to do uh, some more of the next gen between now and 2021. But until then, uh, the great the great thing is iRacing has made uh, all the next gen vehicles available uh, for, for anyone to download on the service. So don't take it from me. Get, get on the get on the sim and uh, everyone can try them to themselves. Yeah, I've tried it a little bit myself so far. It's incredible how different the feeling is the second you jump in the car and the sounds and everything from that and i have to ask 
why now to come onto the iRacing platform for the next-gen cars? Why at this time, with the unveiling synced in, what essentially came to be for it to come to iRacing this early on? Well, I think when you take a look at you know how NASCAR and iRacing have kind of collaborated over the last year or so, you know, we're, we're more and more looking at iRacing as a place where we can kind of test and, and, and debut just, just due to the power of the platform. Um, obviously, you know, you saw some of the news stories last year where, you know, we, we went to iRacing to kind of help us uh, make some changes and design uh, changes to uh, the Daytona road course. Um, you know, we've been public about the fact that we've been working with them um, with Auto Club and, you know, they helped us with the Chicago street course design that we've been kind of working through. So I think it's really just an outgrowth of that. I mean, they're just a really good partner. Um, they're a really good partner that, that has a platform that is very close to real life. And when we have a platform that is that close to real life and we can just immediately stand up experiences for our fans, um, it's really just a no brainer. So, you know, we're in an environment now where, where, where most of our fans are familiar with what iRacing is, and they all, for the most part, understand how realistic it is. So it just really makes good sense for us to stand up content for them on the platform to kind of give them that immediate sense. Um, we want fans to be able to kind of get 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 their hands on these cars and, and really get a good feel for them ahead of next year and become familiar with them. And, and iRacing is one of uh, many many ways, but is one of the best ways that we can kind of, you know, deliver that to them. Well, Matt, we look forward to seeing what this next gen car can do out on the track here in the future, starting in 2022. But for now, we get to enjoy it now on the iRacing service, but also we look forward to seeing what you can accomplish in Monday night racing with you, as well as your teammate, DJ Cummings, who also works with NASCAR in the eNASCAR brand. So Thank you so much for once again coming back on to talk about your win as well as your thoughts on the next-gen car. Of course, ladies and gentlemen, that is Matt Stallneck from NASCAR's Digital as well as the Marketing and Communications along with winner at Daytona International Speedway on Monday Night Racing. We are going to be right back, but when we come back, we have a bunch of more topics and news as well as more talk about the next-gen car. You are listening to the iRacers Download on the SpeedSport Podcast Network and now. NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the iRacers Download on the SpeedSport Podcast Network and NASCAR Digital Media. And Justin, a great interview that we had with Matt Stalneck to discuss about his win with Monday Night Racing as well as the next-gen car. And to continue our conversation about the next-gen car, we have a very special guest, my partner in crime on Burning Rubber Radio and also has his own show on the SpeedSport Podcast Family Network. Jeremy Taylor from In the Garage with Jeremy Taylor joins us to talk about the next-gen car. And, Jeremy, welcome to the iRacers Download. Hey, thanks for having me, Taylor. It's good to be here, and Justin as well. And um, it's funny, you know, I was we were talking just before. Like, I, I plugged y'all's show on, uh, on my podcast on Monday whenever I recorded it. So uh, here I am just kind of showing up out of the blue. It certainly is. It's kind of funny how we work things out like this. Yeah, yeah. And I was discussing the Gen 7 car during that. So, hey. Here we are. Let's just keep on talking about it. It seems to be the uh, the hot topic nowadays, right? It certainly is. And thinking about this, you know, the Gen 7 car premiered officially to the public on Wednesday, May 5th. And I got to say, even with the little leaked photos we've seen before the official, they look so much better 
I would have to say now, yeah. especially with the Camry, the new Mustang, as well as the new Chevy Camaro. But looking at these cars technologically-wise, they're so much different than what we've seen in the past, Jeremy. Can you care to elaborate a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, uh, as I went into I, I went into great depth <laughs> on my podcast on Monday, so if people really want to hear uh, the crux of what's happening underneath the skin of this new car, uh, you know, I'm just going to plug my own podcast there in the garage. Go listen to that, and it's a it's a half hour long special talking about nothing but all of the updates that are on here. But uh, uh, the the short uh, the the short version is, you know, we are going to be basically doing a technological overhaul over our current model that we have which you know the the gen 6 car is the closest thing to you know looking like a street car um than we've had you know in in you know 15 years right so uh and i think 18 years was the last time that we actually used um a car that used templates that were modeled after the actual street version, right? So uh, in 2003, NASCAR came out with a common template where uh, all three manufacturers, they used the same common overall template. So all the cars were basically, you know, shaped the exact same. They just had a different nose and quarter windows, essentially, for their brand identity. Um, back in the 90s and, 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 you know, 2001 and two is whenever we had the actual real stock car templates where you'd take a template off of a street car and it would work on the race car. So, you know, we didn't really exactly get back to that, but you know, as far as looks go, um, like I had told you guys before, because I was lucky enough to, to be able to help in the development of the Ford product that was uh, shown yesterday. Um, I, I told you guys before, I was like, man, I can't wait for you guys to see this because it looks straight off the showroom like whenever i saw that car finally assembled for the first time i thought it you know looked like it just rolled in off the showroom and um <clears throat> but back to the point where you know we're talking about technology um basically under the skin of the car we're updating um you know just making the cars more modern you know what i mean so you know you talk about the rear suspension you know the old truck arm system is based off of um, uh, like a 1965 Chevy truck. That's why they called them a truck arm, like the way the suspension worked. Um, you know, the four speed transmission we've had for, you know, 50 some odd years is an old Muncie style uh, H pattern four speed transmission. Um, you know, you look at the Ford nine inch rear end gear that's been every single NASCAR stock car that's out there. Um, you know, that's a Ford product that has been out there for 50 some odd years. So, you know, all of this technology is very, very outdated and NASCAR. NASCAR wanted to step into the future and, and come up with a new product. And at the same time, they wanted to make uh, the car look as stock as they could. And like I said, you know, I think that they really knocked it out of the park and uh, it looks great. Um, the Chevy and the Toyota, I know um, the Toyota, I know for sure, actually uses the same hood from the Gen 6 model. They just changed a couple things about it, added the louvers to it, and then put it onto the Gen 7. Um, but, you know, some of the proportions around the rest of the car are a lot different. But um, the outer skin of the car, you know, we're getting away from um, all of that right side offset in the body of the car, right? So um, all of that side force that we would get 
going around a left-handed corner, um, you know, where the cars were so aero dependent, they're trying to get away from that as well. So that's why, you know, they move the body back to being a symmetrical style body. So, you know, right and left of the car is a perfect mirror image of each other. So that's going to help, uh, as far as, especially, you know, on road courses, as far as aerodynamics go, um, but, uh, you know, there's that, you know, they're sealing off the entire underside of the car with the underwing. Um, so they've got the car off the ground a little bit, letting airflow under it, um, which it's going to help a little bit of downforce. But mostly what it's going to affect is the car that follows behind. So with the diffuser and things that are out the back of the car, um, so any car following, you know, they're not going to get that aerotight situation, um, you know, gosh, we'll go inside the car. You know, we got the sequential gearbox now, um, a five forward speed, one reverse speed. So a six speed sequential gearbox, um, the independent rear suspension. Um, gosh, there's so many things technologically that is advanced with this car. Um, I could just go on forever about it, but, uh, um, I think it's, you know, uh, a great stride and a, a great step forward for the sport. And, uh, I'm excited for what that car is going to bring next year in 2022. It certainly is, Jeremy, and I'm actually look, looking at some of the pictures and had a chance of hopping on the sim to test out the new car on the iRacing service to see how it is similar to what we just saw released as mm -hmm. working on the new car. And I got to say, it is like what you've brought out. It is a lot more of going to be of the mechanical grip compared mm -hmm. to that car being stuck to the racetrack as far as being dependent on the aero. And yeah. I got to say, one of the things that I did enjoy and I kind of find interesting and I never thought I would see on a stock car in NASCAR is those diffusers. I mean, when you think diffusers, yeah. when it comes to motor racing, you're mostly <laughs> thinking mm -hmm. sports cars, IndyCar, Formula One, now NASCAR. How do you think yeah. that's going to affect the way we see racing in NASCAR? Well, just like I said you know, a moment ago, I alluded to was... Um, the biggest thing is it's going to help cars in a in a racing situation as far as uh, before, you know, the car's punching a hole in the air and you've got this run coming up on on the, the car ahead of you trying to make a run. But once you get out there, you know, the whole slingshot <laughs> slingshot engage doesn't happen like it used to. Right. So, um, you know, now. Uh, you get up on the car behind him, and really all you had to do was run the same line as the guy behind you. You would take the air off the nose of his car. He wouldn't handle for crap, and he wouldn't be able to get past you. So that's that's you know kind of what this whole diffuser situation does. So now the car is going to be a little higher off the ground. You're going to have the raised area in the front end on the splitter that's going to allow the air to pass under the car. Um, the entire bottom of the car is perfectly flat and sealed off now with the car carbon underwing that they have and then you have the diffuser that's going to allow the air to escape out from under the car and you're going to get air on the nose of the following car so that car that is now trying to pass is going to have better handling uh, because he's going to have you know uh, more aero grip now and then also the additional mechanical grip that he'll have um, with the new suspension systems that we have and also i didn't even uh, mention it but we have wider tires now um, so we have 12 inch wide tires rather than um, the 10 inch wide or 12 inch wide rims rather rather than the 10 inch wide rims that we had before. And then also, you know, the smaller, stiffer sidewall due to the bigger wheel that we have um, coming out with that car, the 18 inch aluminum wheel. So um, there's a whole lot of things that 
point toward this car being far more racy than what the current car is. Um, I would venture to say that the oval track speeds will be very comparable, if not maybe just a tick slower. Um, but I'm willing to bet that the short track speeds and the road course speeds are going to grow um, simply because, you know, the aero grip, isn't really going to matter on the short tracks as much, you know, like say Martinsville or something like that. And I really think that some of these guys are going to start messing with downshifting in the corners and the slow corner, you know, flat corner speeds that say Loudon, uh, Phoenix, they already do. Uh, Pocono, they already do. And I would venture to say they almost may do that at Martinsville because you, you want the car to be in that good RPM range. So um, I would venture to say that, you know, the racing on the short tracks are only going to get better, um, especially at somewhere like Martinsville, where the bigger brakes that we have, the bigger tires that we have on this new car, um, that's more grip in the corners, better braking into the corner, more grip off of the corner under acceleration with the wider tires. So I'm, I'm willing to bet that we're going to pick up quite a bit of speed um, at Martinsville, at Loudoun, um, at Bristol. Um, at Phoenix, uh, all, you know, all these big, you know, uh, or the short tracks rather. And then, you know, the road courses, I mean, gosh, um, Kurt Busch, they, you know, whenever they tested the car at the Roval last fall, um, they were three seconds faster than the current car. Uh, and that that's exciting, you know, and, and they hadn't even refined that car yet. You know, that was their first time out in it. So, um, I'm really excited to see what this product is, product is going to bring because, like I said, I feel like it's going to be a much, much racier car than the current version. And confirm also with what you brought out, Jeremy, about the possible of changing gears at short tracks like Martinsville. I actually took the Ford Mustang of the next-gen car to the virtual Martinsville and yeah, I couldn't even, I had a fourth gear was the highest I can go when going down the straightaways. But once I got into the corner, it was best to drop it down into third gear in order to get yeah. that propulsion you need off yeah. those corners, which is so important, especially at a track like Martinsville. So I can only imagine yeah. we'll be seeing a lot more of that as we progress in 2022. Definitely. Yeah, I uh, I haven't, you know, uh, that was just speculation that I had, you know, just because knowing the racetracks the way I do. And, and I, I would uh, almost bet that you may see that in some of the, the bigger mile and a half tracks too. If you, if you have any sort of significant fall off in RPM in the corner, um, these guys, you know, Indy cars do it a lot, you know, where fifth and sixth gear on an Indy car will be really close together, uh, especially at somewhere like Indianapolis, you know, they'll run sixth gear down the straightaway, but they'll bump it down into fifth in the corners, you know, so that way they have just that little bit of extra kick coming off of the corner, um, you know, or either fuel saving or whatever it is they're doing. Um, I would venture to say that any significant fall off in RPM that you have in any racetrack, uh, on the circuit in the corners, you're going to see guys start to shift down. So that way they keep the car in the power curve and they're getting all of the RPM and horsepower that they can. Um, so, man, I, I uh, like I said, I'll, I I know they're going to probably do it at the short tracks like you can already attest to with the virtual uh, car. Um, but in real life, I, I, I really think that that's going to be something that's going to be a game changer for these guys. And also, you know, on restarts, too. Um, you know, playing with restarts, seeing, you know, uh, you know, if you can get a little bit of better grip, you know, slipping tires, 
Um, you know, if you're on old tires, maybe you'll you'll start with just one gear higher because the RPMs are going to be, uh, or you know, the gear is going to be um, better suited for the RPM range. You know, um, so you're not slipping the tires as much. Um, it won't be as big of a jump between second to third gear uh, in our current car than what the new car is going to have second to third gear. You know what I mean? So um, I think that's going to be another interesting aspect of having that sequential transmission. As we come to a close on this interview, Jeremy, and discussion about the next-gen car, both the virtual and the real, mm-hmm. do you think this car will improve pretty much the entire spectrum of NASCAR when it comes to its cup racing? I know people have been saying for the past several years the racing has not been that great, mm-hmm. even though I hate to say it, it has been to a degree compared to in years past, but do you think this will start to bring back the opportunity where people look towards NASCAR as a place to not only watch racing, but also get involved, whether it be sponsorship, OEMs, or even, and of course, more fa- future fans. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I know I sound like I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. You know what I mean? I know I sound like that right now, but uh, by being as excited about this car as I am. But, I mean, you're already seeing it, Taylor. I mean, look, there's, there's what, three brand-new teams this year, and all of them specifically have cited that the Gen 6 car coming in 2022 is a major reason why they decided to do this. Even Dale Earnhardt Jr. has said that if we were to go cup racing, now is the time to do it because of this new car. You're already seeing it, Taylor. So uh, I would venture to say that as far as that goes, new manufacturers, new teams coming into the sport, now is best time to do it uh, because – uh, you know, all of these teams that are currently in the sport are going to have to have a lot of startup costs to get these new cars built for next year. Um, you know, they're going to offload some of their stuff to some of the Xfinity teams because the chassis are very similar between the current car and cup and the car uh, currently ran in Xfinity. Um, but, uh, you know, as far as the racing goes, um, I'm excited about what it's going to bring because all the notebooks and all the data that all these teams have at all these current racetracks – Throw them in the fireplace, burn them, and keep you warm this winter because you're going to have to ride a new one next year. You know what I mean? So, um, at no, at no time in recent history in NASCAR, especially in the Cup Series, has there been the level playing field that we're going to see next year. You're always going to see the bigger teams that have the money to spend. They're going to do a little better. However, next year, you know. God, I, I really think that somebody like, say, Rick Ware or, you know, somebody that has business outside of NASCAR in the sports car racing, um, you know, look at uh, Chip Ganassi, Roger Penske. Look at these teams that have business elsewhere where they already use some of these same, you know, gearboxes and uh, suspension techniques and things like that. Look at those teams to excel because they already have some data based on some of the technology that this new car has. So, you know, those teams are going to do well, but uh, like I said, you know, never in recent memory um, are we going to have the level playing field uh, that we're going to have next year. So, um I, I personally believe that it's going to do very well. Uh, but, you know, uh, there's always going to be the haters out there that say 
that, you know, it's the product's still going to suck no matter what you do because you're already seeing it uh, with all these comments, all these people that don't like the cars and, and this and that and, and the purists out there that want, you know, they ain't putting stock in stock car and all that. You know, it's it's um, you're always going to have the people that hate on it. But me personally, I'm excited for what this new car is going to bring, um, especially technology wise, because I've always been a, <laughs> more of a fan of the car and the technology than the actual uh, drivers and racing. So uh, I'm excited for it. And I hope everybody else, uh, once they see more testing of this car in the future, whenever the teams actually build their own cars and get out there and test in a group, say at Daytona or, you know, Charlotte or somewhere like that, um, I'm really hoping that. Um, people will start to maybe sip of the Kool-Aid a little bit and, uh, and they, they, they kind of, you know, drink what I'm drinking on this thing because, um, this is going to be a significant, uh, advancement in the sport and I'm, I'm happy, uh, to see it and I'm proud to have played a small part in it. Well, Jeremy, thank you for your time coming on. Of course, you can catch the full discussion of what Jeremy's talking about with this next-gen cup car in 2022 on his podcast that's In the Garage with Jeremy Taylor. You can find that on all podcast streaming networks along with the Speedsport Podcast Network and NASCAR Digital Media. Well, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, it's going to be the news of the week. You're listening to the iRacers Download on the Speedsport Podcast Network and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the iRacers Download on the Speedsport Podcast Network and NASCAR Digital Media. And Justin, that was a very informative discussion that we had with Jeremy to talk about the next-gen car and how the similarities are similar to the real car as well as iRacing's virtual next-gen car, showing the compatibility and the closeness that iRacing and NASCAR have to work to build and bring this next-gen car to the virtual world. Yeah, I was a bit speechless with all the information coming in because th when I first looked at the setup page for the new car as well. It's a whole lot different right from the get-go on how you set up the suspension and the springs and the shocks and every single part of that car. I just found it so stunning as well about how much there is to take in. And this is going to be for a lot of the teams on iRacing in particular too, going to be a massive adjustment period, Taylor. And I think... Having the opportunity now to have the car on the service now compared to when I originally thought it might come out, say, in right before the start of the NASCAR season 2022 or something, it's going to be where you're going to have to take the whole year to learn the car to be able to be up to speed for the NASCAR Coca-Cola iRacing series, I think. If I can say briefly about the setup pack, the setup package for the next-gen cup car before we go into the news right quick, it actually looks a lot simpler compared to the Gen 6 or other older cup cars that we've had on the iRacing service, because really, it's just really a little bit of one click or two clicks as far as adjustments. I mean, yes, you still have your camper, your caster, spring rates, and as well as adjustments to help tighten or loosen the car with, this, with all that. But for the most part, when it comes to the suspension work, it's just literally a small click to the left or a small click to the right on each set of those corners, and you pretty much can find out, hey, what works best and what, what does not work best. Yeah, but there's a lot more options as well at the same time, which is what I'm getting towards almost, where you have to figure all of these things out individually for each track, you know. And as you know, as we both know, 
testing is very important when it comes to building these types of cars. It's going to be very interesting how drivers build for these tracks now and drive in the respective teams to try and sort themselves out with this. It's going to make things very interesting now and completely levels the playing field, not just in the real world, as was talked about, but now in the virtual world as well. It could level the playing field for 2022 across the board. It certainly is. And speaking of leveling the playing field, on Wednesday, the same day that the next-gen car was released, the eNASCAR iRacing Pro Invitational kicked off this third race of the season at Darlington. And I gotta say, it was a very interesting, very exciting, and also I would have to say very chaotic race, Justin. And uh, why don't we go ahead and discuss about that, some of the highlights. Well, it was interesting how the race started off, obviously, in lap one, turn one, when several drivers who are still getting used to the cars, keep in mind. So give them that. Ended up having that situation where they snapped around and got involved in the first lap, first corner incident with several different competitors, especially Matt DiBenedetto. It was an interesting race to say the very least, though, overall when you break things down, Taylor, because the one main thing I picked up on is while it was chaotic at the start as drivers were trying to feel things out, get used to the feeling of the cars against other cars and racing around other cars and being fully up to speed. Once they got to the midway portion of the race, that's where it looked like, Taylor, everybody got into a good rhythm or flow, to say the very least, to try and comfortably get themselves into position to be able to race. So that was where I found it got really interesting. The strategies, too, when it came to drivers like Anthony Alfredo, like Timmy Hill, like William Byron, and seeing the differences on 20-lap older tires and how well they were able to stick around on the racetrack was also pretty interesting. It certainly was, Justin. And to give a rundown of what happened for that race, your top five goes to Eric Jones, Anthony Alfredo, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Tyler Reddick, and Chase Elliott, your top five. But also, a couple of things we have to give a shout-out to, especially for some of our Monday Night Racing competitors Drivers such as Anthony Alfredo, who finished in second place. James Davison, seventh place. Garrett Smithley, 14th position. And I got to say, it was great to see those guys put on a good show, as they have probably some of the most experience on the iRacing service. And, of course, can't forget Kyle Busch coming home in 23rd. Of course, he ran into some problems during the race on the opening lap, so it was a tough break for him as well. But great to see some of our Monday Night Racing competitors putting on a good show. It was great to see them have some good speed. I know Garrett Smithley had some moments where he was trying to make passes and basically nearly got into the outside wall a couple times, so that was unfortunate for him. But Anthony Alfredo nearly won the whole race, Taylor. That's the main thing, without a front nose, which was the most surprising thing to me because he was able to survive what was a chaotic incident involving Timmy Hill and several others in turns one and two. But that three-wide move Jones was able to make to make the racing win race winning pass was really impressive, especially with how he was able to stick it into the corner because several drivers throughout the race and practice had slid up the racetrack from the same lane he was doing so, Taylor, and slammed hard into the safe repair here in turns one and two. It was just an impressive race overall to see some of the drivers really adapt to the car and get better and better as the night went on and progressed. And especially how the Monday Night Racing competitors, like Davidson, made names for themselves with strategy. Like Alfredo, made his name 
known out there on the racetrack with nearly coming away with the victory. Like Smithley, who was one of the biggest movers of the race. And like Kyle Busch, who, well, had some interesting moments. Of course he did. And of course, also a big shout out to some of the fan vote drivers who made it in. Jesse Awuchi came home with a ninth place. And Timmy Hill, of course, who's been on the iRacing service for quite some time, coming home in 11th position. Now the question is, you know, last time they did this, they had, of course... Brad Keselowski winning the race and then winning the cup race that following Sunday at Talladega. Could we possibly see Eric Jones pull off this double winning Wednesday night for the, at Darlington in the virtual world and then going right back out this Sunday to go win at Darlington in the real world? That's a tough thing to say because in the real world, Eric Jones can definitely bring the car up inside the top 10. He's been able to win at Darlington before, keep in mind. It's just a matter, though, of... You have to remember, it's the Gen 6 cars in the real world still. This was with the next-gen cars on iRacing. So there is that big difference that I think can still come into play, Taylor. So it's going to be much harder, I think, compared to Talladega to really judge can someone replicate virtual to reality in regards to winning the race. Certainly is. And also to make note of before we come to a close for tonight's race... Actually, as we're recording this episode on May 6, 2021, the IMSA iRacing Pro Series presented by SimCraft is about to finish up their season finale of their race. And I got to say, it was a dominant win in LMP2 for none other than Scott Andrews taking home the checkered flag there. And then, of course, in the GTLM class, it is none other, as I'm waiting for the results to finish up, it was actually one of the, I believe, Mr. Fluker who could, took home the checkered flag in the GTLM class, who is a IMSA competitor. But just great to see the drivers coming in here for the final race and a big field to compete in this week's IMSA iRacing Pro Series. It was a very competitive championship overall, you have to say, though, especially some of the battles and some of the moments like drivers running out of fuel on the last lap in some of the events where drivers had to battle with attrition. But... Overall, the drivers who had the best versatility from real world to virtual world were the ones who have had some of the experience, and we've seen that definitely come into play, and a lot of the organizations have definitely ramped up their sim experience since then. It certainly has, and of course, that was Rodrigo Fluker, who competes in the IMSA Prototype Challenge Series, and in fact, both drivers who won in their respective classes are competitors in the Prototype Challenge LMP3 classes. So congratulations to those. Of course, they'll be back out on that. Well, with that, Justin, it's time that we come to a close here. For Matt Stallneck from eNASCAR's Digital Media and Monday Night Racing and Jeremy Taylor from In the Garage with Jeremy Taylor, I'm Taylor Burris, he's Justin Prince, and our wonderful producer, Wayne Owens. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the iRacers Download on the Speed Sport Podcast Network and NASCAR Digital Media.